Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Moderate Party, a political podcast for moderates, centrists, and independents. I know that we talk a lot about extremism, division, and polarization on this show, and don't get me wrong, I'm going to keep talking about those things, but this weekend, we have the opportunity to actually do something about those things. Now, I'm not talking about call your representative or read a white paper, and I mean, don't get me wrong, those things are important, but admittedly, they're not very exciting. Today, we're going to talk about what you can do to fight polarization in a real and exciting way, and it's all going down this weekend. I know, you're on the edge of your seat. The suspense? It's unbearable. Obviously, this very exciting opener has you dying to know. You're thinking, Hillary, for the love of God, what can I do to stop polarization this weekend? Honestly, I can't tell you. But before you throw your phone in dramatic frustration, hear me out. I can't tell you because Pierce Godwin, founder and CEO of Listen First, is here to tell you. Pierce is a catalyst in the movement to heal America by transforming division and contempt into connection and understanding. He manages large-scale collective campaigns such as America Talks and the National Week of Conversation and engages as many Americans as possible in this hopeful mission. Pierce has been recognized by journalists at CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, USA Today, The Associated Press, Washington Post, The New York Times, all the good ones, guys. All the good ones. I had a blast talking to Pierce, but if you don't have time to listen to the whole episode, just head over to americatalks.us and check it out. But for the rest of you, buckle up. Here's my conversation with Pierce Godwin. I want to start with a personal question. What makes the issue of polarization personal for you? You know, Hillary, I think... So many Americans uh, over the last several years have had a moment in which we you know, we look out across the landscape of the country and think, you know what, I've got uh, principles and priorities that matter a lot to me. And what on earth are we doing to each other? How is it that these differences uh, in our opinions and our perspectives have turned toxic? You know, meaning that we're demonizing each other across these differences and, and realizing that that fundamental breach uh, of any sort of social contract we might have imagined to have or, or just any sort of, 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 of goodwill towards, uh, towards our fellow Americans uh, is something that, uh, that's cause for concern really that transcends, at least for me at this point, uh, any of my individual positions. Uh, my moment in particular was on a bus uh, in Africa going from Uganda. What? To- yeah. Yeah. I t- t- took the little known exit off of Interstate 95 uh, after spending five years up in Washington, D.C. and before coming home here to North Carolina and went over to Uganda for six months with a Christian International Relief Organization. Um, and as you might imagine, this Southern conservative white boy uh, had, his, <laughs> had his eyes opened uh, quite, quite a bit, um, but but you know, directly relevant to us spending time together here today uh, was my own recognition that even amidst abject material poverty in in some of the roughest parts of Africa, uh, you had such incredible relational wealth, um, and that realization was crystallized for me when I looked back across the pond to the United States just before coming back home in summer of. 
2013 and realizing that I'd be stepping back into the most prosperous nation in the world with such abject relational poverty. Um, and that got me, frankly, just just frustrated, really distraught um, over over what was happening even then. And, and Hillary, that was 2013. I think we'd all trade it in today if we could. Um, those, those were the quaint times. Uh, Nostalgic for those times. Uh, but but started jotting down some some thoughts that I had on that on that overnight bus ride and thought it was just a blog post. And next thing I knew, it was a column called "It's Time to Listen" on papers uh, all over the United States of America. And thought, well, gosh, this really kind of simple idea of listening first to understand, of moving beyond slander and seeking common ground, is resonating. Let me let me try to do something about it. And with that, we launched the Listen First project. Um, and it was a side gig for about four years. And then the events in Charlottesville were kind of my second moment when we saw marches escalate to murder. Um, and I thought, you know what, this deserves my full time attention. And would you look at that? There are so many other groups even then across the country who in their own way were bringing Americans together across differences. So my instinct was to, to form a coalition and work together and see if our powers combined could have a greater impact, reach farther uh, than any of us could alone. And that Listen First Coalition now has grown from an original four organizations uh, to over 350 this week as we approach America Talks in the fourth annual National Week of Conversation. 351 if you count moderate party. There you go. Welcome. So honored to have you. So happy to be here, but I want to circle back to something that you were saying um, when you were talking to me through your background. Will you expand on relational wealth versus relational poverty? Yeah, great question. I I, I think about I don't know if there's a, a precise definition, but but my sense of it is it, it, it's it's the health and the value of the relationships we have in various sectors and spheres of our lives. So if you're looking at society writ large, that's gonna include obviously the, the most nuclear relationships of, of family, but also for many people in a relationship in their faith community and their civic communities, um, a, a bit more indirectly, I think it has to do with our relationships and the way, we, the way we look at, the way we characterize, the way we feel about folks that we might not have ever met, but have some sense of where they're coming from. And the problem these days, Hillary, is that we've gone from just disagreeing with them to disliking and dehumanizing and, and demeaning them. And so I think it does, uh, it does include uh, how we look at uh, our fellow Americans uh, up close or from afar, and, and certainly up close, the degree to which we are able to engage in conversations with one another across differences that are more productive and than destructive. Um, and, and the poverty I was seeing coming back from Africa was just folks at each other's throats, just seemingly not recognizing the humanity in one another, not seeing each other really at all uh, across differences, but instead seeking to, uh, to tear down um, and, uh, and destroy those that we increasingly don't just see as opponents, but indeed as enemies and threats uh, to our own well-being and values. Were you mainly seeing that on the news or was that playing out a little bit closer to home for you? Yeah, it, it, it was 
somewhat of a hybrid. I think what really got my attention is that I'd been in Washington, D.C. for five years and you know, I fancied myself a, a political animal. I enjoyed the fight, the, the, the battle of ideas back when fight was a little less literal. So you're no stranger to a dust up. I, I loved it. And, and that was that was within the Capitol Beltway there around D.C. But what got my attention on that bus ride in Africa was seeing headlines in the news but about my backyard. It was about what was happening right here next door. I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and next door in Raleigh. Um, that's what was making headlines, not DC, which we've gotten used to, but that right here on quote unquote Main Street, folks were at each other's throats. And, and so it was in the news, but the fact that it was news about my neighborhood, if you will, is what uh, struck a chord and made it feel so much more personally um, impactful and concerning. It's interesting that you mentioned Africa because one of the earliest guests that we had on the show was Tim Phillips from Beyond Conflict. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how he had worked with like Nelson Mandela and apartheid <laughs> and the troubles in Northern Ireland and hearing from him that when he looked at America, he was feeling yikes. Yes. Was very concerning. It gives me chills. I mean, Tim and I are uh, are good friends and, and partners, and, and he's um, one of at least a dozen uh, I've I've heard from over the years who have that experience overseas, who have seen conflict zones, who have seen states fail um, because of not only the toxic polarization, which we think of as demonizing one another across our differences, but increasingly now in America, and certainly in some of those examples you cited, this idea of sectarianism where I don't even dislike you. I, I think you are almost of a different species. Um, and, and we have this polling now that uh, more than half of Americans believe that our fellow Americans are the greatest threat to our own country. And then one in five of us on both sides, there's not much difference between conservatives and liberals, think many members of the other party, quote, lack the traits to be considered fully human. And one in five, right in that same range, wish and think that our country would be better off if large numbers of their opponents just died. It's horrifying. Never mind zero-sum games around policy, but your advancement, your empowerment, your voice is an existential threat to mine. Uh, and one of us is, uh, is going to prevail and the other one must be extinguished. And, and sadly, there's a, a, a not insubstantial element of Americans now um, on both sides of the spectrum who are feeling that degree of, of hatred and murderous rage. What a lovely and unplanned segue to my next question. You wrote an, a, you wrote an article for USA Today titled, It Feels Like the American Experiment is Failing. Here's what you can do to save it. And I very much agree that it feels from an emotional place, like the American experiment is failing. But what I want to know is, do you think that it actually is? Or do you think that that's just how it feels? I think the jury's out. Um, certainly that that was my emotional uh, reaction uh, when I saw it. And when I wrote that one, um, it was back in June when we were you know, having a necessary racial reckoning. Um, but one characterized by such animosity and vitriol flying in, in, in many different directions. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, certainly I'm, I'm uh, ridiculously, some would say, optimistic. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not 
declaring the American experiment as failed, but I feel like it, it, it may be on life support. I think we have to renew it because uh, at the end of the day, I mean, America is a beautiful place. The landscapes uh, are just stunning, but it's comprised of people, right? So if the people that make up America are choosing to destroy one another instead of having any sense of common body politic and uh, common purpose, common interest, at least even recognizing that we're in the boat together and we'll have a shared future, then I almost by definition, I don't see how an experiment of government of, by, and for the people can succeed. Would you say that we are on a highway to the danger zone? Oh, I think we've already taken the exit. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think that that uh, that song is apropos, <laughs> um, and uh, and and I really fear that uh, that on our current trajectory, absent intervention, um, it 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 it's going to end uh, in in a ghastly way that 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 we don't even want to to think about and consider. And I'm the first one to think, oh, somehow, some way, mighty America will prevail. We'll figure it out, and maybe we will. Um, but this current trajectory doesn't lead anywhere that's going to be good for anybody. And I think largely history would suggest that we won't course correct. And I, I mean, one of the things that I think about a lot is if we believe in American exceptionalism, which I do, mm-hmm. even if that is naive, but if we believe that America is exceptional, we need to be exceptional. Yeah. And I, I just feel like you got to put your back into it. You know what I mean? Right. The freedoms we enjoy and have enjoyed for a while aren't a guarantee. And I think America's success, it's not predetermined. No, not at all. And and, and I, I completely agree with you, Hillary. I, I think America is, is a complex story. There's so many things about America that I'm extremely proud of. So many things that I think an objective lens would, would hold as exceptional, as, as wonderful for the world. Of course, also such horrid hypocrisy. And, 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 and right now, those are two truths that I think we have to hold as uh, at the same time, which seems to be hard for a lot of us to do these days, holding two things to be true at the same time, having any sense of nuance. But, uh, but we're, I think, losing some of the positive side of that coin, losing some of that exceptionalism. Uh, and we're our own worst enemy. I think this, this stew of toxic polarization that we're that we're floundering in um, is a grave threat and it's our own creation and that means only we can get ourselves out of it what do you think is causing our division or the increase in polarization yeah especially your your second point there about about the increase makes it an, an even more complicated question because I think it, it, at the baseline, we know that we are social animals, and this is what Tim Phillips, you know, talks about uh, all the time in his work with Beyond Conflict. But we know that our brain biology makes us sensitive to feelings of group belonging and threats from members of other groups. These are primal survival instincts, right? They make sense. They've served us well over time, and they can change our posture and our group identities can change over time. But but we have just turbocharge those survival tribal instincts into every realm of of our life every sense of policy every sense of of culture we framed as that existential threat which is evoking that fight or flight mechanism 
um, why it's increased. I mean, multifaceted, right? I mean, the, the, the accurate to a degree, but also cliche answers are social media and, and just that distance that uh, I hope to God um, that, that we wouldn't say some of the things to each other's face that we will from behind the keyboard. That's not helpful. Uh, certainly our, our leaders could do a much better job um, of modeling what it means to work towards common interests to extend grace. But I'm really quick to go back into the mirror because I, I think it's it's the masses. It's, it's, it's us everyday Americans who um, have just escalated. It feels like some sort of a, an arms race where we're pushing the envelope. And what I do today is justified because of what you did yesterday. And so what you do tomorrow is justified because, well, I did almost as bad today. Um, and that is just a positive feedback loop down. Um, and, and I, I, you know, like there's, there's so many other you know, factors over the last few decades, but, uh, but big picture, um, I, I think we have gotten so atomized, if you will, um, and balkanized with media such that I, as an individual can hear exactly what I want to hear from somebody who looks like me and thinks like me. And, and I'm now, as we've seen, especially in recent months in vivid color, um, may not even share a common sense of reality with you. And that is, that's a whole nother level of, of scary. Um, but it's not one that's immune to you know, my abiding faith in, in human connection, the capacity when we see each other and when we learn each other's story, we have a window into different experience and perspective. Uh, we feel that connection. We feel that, uh, that empathy um and recognize that, that somebody you know who may see the world differently who may vote differently who may look differently um is a person with dignity is a person worth valuing is a person with their own hopes and fears and and worthy of engagement and 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 good faith relationship not just invectives and uh and a, 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 a belligerent verbally or physically violent mentality before even having that connection. I think one of the things that you hit on that's really interesting is this idea of the chicken or the egg, because you were talking about how our elected leaders could definitely be modeling better behavior. Mm -hmm. But in a way, I think that they, to your point, are just the end result of what we the masses totally are creating so i mean do you think that we are being radicalized by them or do you think that they have been elevated by our own radicalization yeah it, if it's a binary and i had to pick one i would say it's it's our fault right i, I would say that, that politicians as i learned in, in dc as just kind of a rule of thumb or survivalist species, right? And I think many of them, I'm not about to disparage, you know, politicians writ large. I think a lot of, you know, folks step into public service and, and want to serve. They also want to continue serving. They also want to get reelected. And if we, the voters are telling them, you know what will get my love and affection is if you just drop rhetorical bombs all over those people, whoever that may be from either side, What's occurred to me in recent months is, is that for somebody uh, in elected office, especially in those, those higher elected offices, to do anything but the slash and burn us versus them uh, depends 
at this point solely on their personal integrity and courage to uh, to belie every incentive that we've put in front of them. And you're just not going to find that many people in any profession, but but perhaps particularly in politics where their job's on the line every few years, um, who are going to do what, you know, I still think in their heart of hearts they may feel is is right or is honorable when their bosses, if you will, those who uh, who impact the longevity of their employment are, are are saying no. I want you to I, I want you to take the destructive path. Do you think that the loss of a common identity, as far as like what it means to be an American, like our American identity, uh, has anything to do with what is driving division and polarization in this country? Absolutely. We're, we're feeling like we're on different planets from one another. Um, we, we can't agree if uh, America is good or bad. And again, that's because we can't hold multiple things to all be true. Right, exactly. Because if we're honest, we're both. We're good and we're bad. Right, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think if we had any sense of, of wanting, to your point, of living into this idea of America being exceptional, living into this idea of America being that beacon on a hill, um, we would all rally around freedom, opportunity, peace, justice, uh, you know, all of these uh, tenets that have been core to America from the beginning, uh, you know, quite um, uh, imperfectly, to say the least, manifest, but, but progressing over time. And, uh, and, but, but those, those things we don't hold anymore to be self-evident, to be defining characteristics. And at this point, and, and when I, when I talk to folks, Hillary, it's like, listen, if nothing else, we're a group of people stuck between the same borders on a map. I mean, we are, we are in this space together in this country together. We should probably figure it out. I think sadly, we're a long way from, from a common galvanizing uh, identity. And, and certainly, you know, I hear my friends um, in, in my head saying, hey, that was, that was never the case for substantial um, segments of our population. And, and absolutely. And I think we're all grappling with that and understanding those hard, uncomfortable things about America as well. Um, but I would also say that, yeah, that the degree of breakdown um, in every direction, it's more of a circular firing squad now than it is limited to any demographic group or any particular type of dimension of diversity. I think you raise a really good point about how for all the things that make America great, it has up until recently and even, I mean, still not been great for everybody. Sure. But I think America is so, so imperfect, um, partially due to our youth, but then maybe we'd be worse if we were older. <laughs> um, but I guess when I think of America, I think what makes us exceptional is that we would try. Like in mm. the face of inequity, America will always try yes. to write towards justice. And I feel like we, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but I think about Captain America. I think that they did a gr a great job of making him embody the best of us like it's it is that we will always move towards justice if when given the opportunity to be better we will mm -hmm. and 
I think that's an excellent point, and you really bring up something interesting about our youth, right? We're going to celebrate the 250th uh, birthday of America in you know 2026 here in, in five years, and that sounds like a lot of years. But I also remember you know a friend from the UK coming over a few years ago and looking around and saying, "All your buildings are so young. Just <laughs> even our you know our monuments, everything in Washington D.C. is." on a global scale, quite young. So, you know, is it adolescent growing pains? Obviously, we already had a, a civil war. Um, but but I think that's right. I, 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 you know, I wasn't around in, in the 60s. Um, and I know we've had points in American history where we were on totally different pages uh, on things. But I'd venture to say that those those epochs were defined by particular things and particular issues. It feels so transcendent now that a certain type of person is on a in a totally different book in a different library from another type of person. Never mind not being on the same page. Um, and that's where I think we're having such a hard time finding any kernel of forget common ground, even just common interest. As you mentioned earlier, Hillary, that, that sense of identity, that sense of what it is and who it is I belong to um, is so deeply divorced right now. So now that we've gotten the conversation to a very bleak and depressing place, I would like to pivot <laughs> to optimism. So talk to me about Listen First. Absolutely. Um, as I mentioned, you know, founded with what I thought was just a, a little blog post. Uh, in Africa, and, and as I began to take it more seriously myself, um, started the Listen First Pledge, I'll Listen First to Understand, and you know that was gaining some traction. Um, and then here we are uh, today um, leading the collaborative movement to heal America by bridging divides. And I emphasize collaborative because you know what we've attempted to do is not create our own widget, as it were, our own you know perfect, there'll never be another one, <laughs> way to have a conversation across differences, but instead to aggregate a line and amplify all of these incredible efforts across the country in communities, online, on particular issues with particular populations. Again, over 350, we're going to call you 351. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and there's no perfect um, way to do these things. So I'm just so humbled to be a part of a network of partners who in their own way are bringing Americans together across difference and kind of the place I found for, for myself and for my staff at Listen First Project um, is to focus on those large scale campaigns and strategies that do leverage all of the component parts and allow us as we are right now, a few days ahead of America Talks and the fourth annual National Week of Conversation, um, put all of our weight and, and energy behind cohesive and collective impact event in this case and, and ultimate strategy of breaking through into mainstream consciousness of achieving culture level impact, which we've talked a lot about the problem. And I'm pretty sure the problem's a lot bigger at this point than any one organization or any small group of organizations could ever tackle. So listen, first project, we're doing the best we can to galvanize the energies of this whole field of bridgers, if you will, um, to transform division and contempt 
into connection and understanding at large scale. And listeners, he's talking to you. I mean, as much as he is talking to any of those partner organizations and as much as he is talking to me, he's talking to you. Together, all of us, we are, we are the energy that needs to be put into this issue. So you've alluded to America Talks. And for the listeners that don't know yet, but soon will, America Talks is an event to basically pair 5,000 people together to talk out their differences. Do I have that right? Yeah, totally. Um, how does that work exactly? Yeah, so, you know, America Talks kicking off this coming weekend, and then the whole National Week of Conversation are, are about encouraging Americans of all backgrounds and beliefs to practice this courage over the contempt that has become so pervasive, to have conversations despite our differences. With America Talks in particular, uh, we've uh, borrowed a program that was uh, pioneered in Germany and then across Europe called My Country Talks, in which they came up with a really innovative recruitment mechanism uh, of embedding survey widgets, little surveys that will show up in the middle of you reading your news article. Um, and here we've been very fortunate to partner with USA Today and their whole USA Today network of 260 local media outlets. And that's what they're doing. They're placing these survey widgets in their uh, coverage of whatever it may be. So someone's reading a, a news article or an op-ed, like some that have come out from the field in the last several days, and suddenly they see, you know, is free speech threatened on college campus? Or do you approve or disapprove the job Joe Biden is doing as president? Um, and they find themselves down a little rabbit hole of sharing their opinion. And next thing they know, uh, they're presented with an opportunity to have a conversation with someone who answered those questions differently. Um, and then based on the data of those survey responses, we have, you know, the fancy algorithms that, that will run um, because of some, some late national media coverage. We've stretched it now through, through late Friday night. We'll be pulling an all-nighter um, so that we can capture um, all, of, all of the national television and, and, and other impact um, that, that we'll be getting, such as from this podcast, uh, and then run the match and, and see to what degree uh, we can have people matched one-on-one across differences, face-to-face, -face, on video, for these bold and, and, and I think, energizing conversations. And, and there are three norms there, uh, Hillary, that, uh, that, will, uh, that will characterize the conversations. It's not going to be the food fights that we're all so tired of seeing in the public square. Uh, we're going to encourage folks to listen with curiosity, to speak from your own experience. Imagine that, not just regurgitating talking points. And to connect with respect. Those three tenets, tips, norms of conversation are what we hope will make a fruitful and, and unprecedented opportunity to see each other across our differences, to connect and realize that the other, as it were, is in many ways just like us with hopes and fears and dreams and families and jobs. And, and these things that when we see a polling stat, like I cited earlier, that 20% of us say, I'm not even sure those people have enough traits to be considered fully human. Or what does that even mean? Coming together as you and I are now, Hillary, and being in, in good faith conversation, we think can begin to soften that, can turn down the heat and turn up the humanity. That's what America Talks and the subsequent National Week of Conversation in which next week over 100 organizations are offering their own events. Um, it's an incredible just cornucopia of opportunity for conversation across differences 
that will follow uh, this unprecedented moment that is America Talks. So I have a practical question. Yeah. Um, are you able to solicit participants from both sides of the ideological aisle? Great question. Um, I've, I've compiled 15 pages of a playbook on engaging conservatives in this Listen First movement to bridge divides. And I'm saying this to you as a conservative and someone who worked in Republican mm-hmm. politics, that it uh, there's a universal challenge of this work is that it's something that tends to resonate more with a liberal mindset than it does with a conservative mindset. The idea of coming together and hanging out with strangers and having kind of a new um, unfamiliar experience is just something that there's a word for it. And it's neophilic and neophobic, the fear versus the love of the new. And I feel that as a conservative, it's like, I don't know, I've never eaten that before. I've never, I mean, I get it. This is not disparaging my fellow conservatives, but, but we see it empirically, Never mind the theory. There's lots of theory around it. We see it empirically that, that, that you will always uh, have uh, the set of low hanging fruit into these, opportunities will tend to be more progressive. We're tracking that in a number of ways based on responses to that question about approve or disapprove of President Biden and several others. And and as expected, there is a a certain skew towards uh, liberal participants. We're doing everything we can through our paid advertising, through my interview on Fox News coming up here to uh, shore that up. Um, but, But we know from years and in some of my colleagues cases decades in this work that you have to work harder to earn the trust and the confidence of a conservative and and, and unfortunately my conservative and and, and what's more republican friends uh, who fear that they may uh, come into a, a space and be judged be shouted down are not wrong it happens and it has happened to them and it's incumbent on anybody uh, extending an invitation in good faith for Americans of all backgrounds and beliefs to come to the table uh, to do the hard work of building the relationships and earning the trust that this is going to be um, a spot where when we say, you know, we welcome people of diversity, we mean it. And we're not only limited into certain types of diversity, but ideological diversity um, as well. Uh, so, you know, that's a long answer, but the bottom line is we're seeing what we knew we'd see, which is the very idea of, oh, let me hang out with a stranger um, is something that excites liberals a little more than it does conservatives. But but I'm also uh, adamant and convinced that there's no way we succeed without the work to heal America being fully representative of America. And it's a mission critical existential priority. I'm actually really interested to hear you say that conservatives are the ones that are harder to get to engage because I um, I have the opposite problem <laughs> at Mod Pod, um, or I guess not problem, because I think that the audience is probably ideologically split. But in terms of the people that send me emails, the center right is so much more active <laughs> than uh, center left. So I, I'm interested to hear that. That I'm even more interested to hear you say that because that, that that would be quite the exceptional case and i wonder what that is about about your content being so well resonant it it surprised me honestly like because they're it's a bunch of conservative dads and then they're liberal daughters i swear i was looking at the artists that they listened to on spotify a couple days ago oh, so cool 
It's like Taylor Swift and Bob Seger. <laughs> so I love it. I mean, um, your guess is as good as mine, but I yeah. the, the emails that I get are. I mean, I definitely I get them from the center left, but the center right. I don't know if it's just that email is their medium. Yeah, but... and, and I'm I'm you know exploring this with you in real time. There is <laughs> if, if if we buy the theory and it's actually you know proven by you know near. <laughs> Uh, by neurology and, and DNA and all sorts of things. Uh, but this idea that I, as I'm fully admitting as a conservative, I'm a little, and this is obviously on average, right? Can't pay with yeah. a brush, but, uh, but, but I'm a little more hesitant to do something new and unfamiliar with strangers than the average, you know, uh, liberal might be. Um, mm -hmm. if, if we, if we buy that premise, uh, then you're inviting people to consume, content that is not nearly as no matter how extroverted we are i happen to be quite extroverted that's still not as threatening as being yeah. engaged with another uh human being so i wonder if that's part of it and another thing that i've always appreciated that liz joiner down at village square a liberal herself but who's not messing around when it comes to engaging conservatives in her work in tallahassee um said you know we find that a lot of conservatives are kind of good with their community. Maybe it's a church community. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a more traditional family. They're not really out there looking for uh, to sit around in a circle with some strangers and chat it up. They may already have those circles. So again, uh, you know, some 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 average rules of thumb. Uh, but but that's a couple of, of several theories and, and, and empirical observations about why we even coming from a conservative like myself, mm -hmm. um, do struggle uh, to uh, to find as, as deep a resonance and as broad an acceptance of the invitation for for conversations across differences as typically practiced uh, when we're inviting conservatives versus liberals. It, it takes work and it's worth it because we don't get anywhere without having truly representative engagement in these conversations um, and in ultimately the work of healing America itself. Well, hopefully I can get some conservative dads to sign up for this event. Please, conservatives, come on. Back me. Yes. <laughs> Daughters, grab your dads. We're signing up. <laughs> um, so I, speaking of signing up, I have already registered for the event. Um, and I've heard from a few listeners already that have as well. But for the people that are hearing about this for the very first time, how do they get involved? Absolutely. Go to americatalks.us um, right now, if you will, and sign up. It's just that quick seven-question survey that I mentioned, which is purely for the purpose of ensuring that you have an experience you're not having perhaps every day, which is one with someone unlike yourself. Uh, and then you'll see uh, there the opportunity to register for America Talks, but also stay tuned for those further opportunities during the subsequent National Week of Conversation. And also, you know, we needn't wait until... Saturday would welcome your listeners to get engaged as you have Hillary with Mod Pod on social media with the hashtag listen first. It jumped one and a half million just yesterday uh, with USDA and, and so many other publications and partners elevating the messaging. We've reached now 15.5 million people in just the last month with that listen first hashtag. So make sure you, that you include that so you're part of the conversation. So we at Listen First Project, all of our, all of our supporters, and partners see that and elevate your voice. Um, so go ahead and join the conversation immediately with that listen first hashtag, but, but please do go to americatalks.us 
Us. Tell all your, your friends, especially if they're conservative, um, to, to get in here. And, we're going to get them. <laughs> and ensure that we have the kind of balance that we've got to have so that we're not continuing to talk to people who look like us and think like us, but we're having a bold, courageous experience. We're all stepping up together to heal America, which is the only way uh, we can renew the American experiment from its current crisis. How long do they have to register, Pierce? And until late Friday night, very specifically because of the uh, the air, um, the, the airing and the re-airing of my interview on, on Special Report with, with Brett Bear on Fox News, it will be open until 2 a.m. Eastern on a Saturday morning. But go ahead and get in there um, as soon as possible. Um, and you'll get emails that, uh, that give you the right link uh, to, uh, to bring you in at 1 Eastern, 10 Pacific on Saturday to kick off with that compelling live stream. There'll be some, some surprises, some notable folks, uh, and then straight into a conversation that is the length of, of your choice designed to be about 50 minutes following that quick live stream. But, but you and your conversation partner can talk for 10 minutes. You can talk for 10 hours. Uh, you can you know, knock yourselves out. Um, but, but it's going to be an experience that I'm thrilled. Thousands of people already from all 50 states um, have signed up for, and, and and I don't want any of your listeners, Hillary, uh, to miss it. I'm excited for for them to to be a whole contingent uh, on America Talks here. That's right, guys. We are a team, and if you guys do not register, I'm going to be out here alone, which I absolutely cannot stand. <laughs> and any of you that want to forward me your registration confirmation email from uh, the good folks at America's Talk, I will send you some free Mod Pod swag, and we can, you know. Put a little, put a little prize out there for you. So that's awesome, Pierce. It has been awesome to talk to you. I am very, very happy that we were able to connect uh, on this time frame. And thank you so much. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for your your heroic work. Um, and oh, gosh. the opportunity to spend time with with you and your listeners. I'll see you all at America Talks in the National Week of Conversation. So that's it, guys. That's what we have to do. Step out of your comfort zone and talk to somebody who thinks differently than you. It might be a little nerve-wracking, but you're not alone. I'm doing it too. And if it goes well or if it goes terribly, I'm here to hear about it. And my inbox is open. You can tell me all about it at talk at moderatepartypodcast.com. And I'm serious about the swag, you guys. If you forward your confirmation email, I'll send you some free stuff. And who does not love free stuff? So once again, thank you to Pierce Godwin for the incredible work that he's doing, the event that he's organizing, and for taking the time to drop in and chat with us on ModPod. That's it for me, guys. Take care. I'll see you next time.